Hey, everybody, on this sermon, the audio got a little bit goofy, so sorry about that. Glad you're listening anyway. Here's the sermon. Many of you know that Meredith and I were at Willow Creek before starting this church. We were there about five years in all, and in that time, I believe I went to two Christmas services and one Easter service in five years, because that was more than enough exposure for me to realize that, especially on those holidays, the worship services were very much not for me, (laughs) both in the sense that they were not planned with people like me in mind, and in the sense that if I continued to go to them, my mind and soul would shrivel up and die within me. The last Christmas service I went to, there was what can only be described as a Norman Rockwell painting on steroids come to life on the stage. New England-like village, fake snow piled up in mounds, actual children pretending to have cheerful snowball fights with the fake snow all across the stage, and the saccharine sweetness of fake nostalgia for a past that never actually existed didn't stop at the set on the stage. It just oozed through the whole sickly sweet storyline of the performance, uh, wait, sorry, worship service. It was, to put it in terms some of our people uh, could understand here, more Hallmark movie than actual Christmas story. I'm sure the idea was that in a year when the world was seeming to go a bit crazy, I think this very well might have been Christmas 2016. I can't exactly remember for sure. And you know, everyone's so stressed out. The world's going crazy. Why not? Why not bring them back to a good old fashioned feel good Christmas? I mean, why not? Other than the implicit racial, cultural, and socioeconomic assumptions about whose good old fashioned Christmas is represented by an idyllic picture of very white, very upper middle class 1950s era life. But other than that, why not? other than that picture having absolutely nothing to do with the biblical story we're supposed to be celebrating and actually being the opposite of that story in many ways. I mean, why not? Sometimes we get lost in the familiarity and nostalgia that has become associated with the Christmas story and how stinking weird the actual story that we have in the Bible is. This is a bizarre, destabilizing story about God turning the world upside down. Good news for poor folk like Mary and Joseph and shepherds, very bad news for King Herod and the empire of Rome and those benefiting from the status quo of the day. Mary sees this clearly from the beginning, as Meredith read last week. Mary's song speaks of these societal reversals, the upending of the settled and the nostalgic. Mary says this, God has shown strength with his arm, has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly, has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And here we are confronted with the problem that Willow Creek Hallmark Christmas was trying to address. In an era of confusion and turmoil and uncertainty all around us, do we really want more confusion in our Christmas story? Can't we just feel good? Maybe the most confused of all the confused characters in this confusing story is Joseph. Mary isn't the only one facing some serious social ostracism consequences as a result of what God is up to. And I mean, at least Mary is secure in the knowledge that it's actually true that she actually hasn't slept with anyone, unless the rural villages of Judea had a serious ecstasy problem among teenagers that I'm unaware of. Kids those days. But poor Joseph just has to sit there with the uncertainty of it all. In a culture that would have looked on him in about the same moral category as Mary, In a culture where honor is everything, and shame is to be avoided at all cost, to go forward with a marriage to a pregnant girl would have been a scarlet letter not easily erased. And what does Joseph have to go on? 
in making this decision with such long-ranging consequences for him and his family. The word of Mary and a dream. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations. (laughs) I want to know what euphemism that is in Greek had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and he named him Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an angel come to you in a dream. I certainly haven't. But if I ever had, my first reaction upon waking up would very much not be, oh, well, that clears everything up, I guess. Glad we had this little talk, angel. Taking this story out of the hazy nostalgia it sometimes gets left in and imagining the real-worldness of it for a minute, Joseph has to be so confused. Wait, you're doing what now, God? I'm supposed to believe what? Is any of this actually you at all? And the angel tells him in the dream that all of this is happening to him so that God could truly be Emmanuel. God is with us. God regularly asks people to do something crazy in the story of scripture because God is always working to find a people through whom the evil, oppressive, sinful structures of the world can be overturned to bring down the powerful from their thrones and lift up the lowly, to send the rich away empty, but fill the hungry with good things. And challenging the evil, oppressive, sinful structures of the world is crazy. But watch what accompanies these calls. Watch what God says in the midst of the confusion. I'm just going to choose a few examples here. Abraham. Now Yahweh said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. Moses. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. And then later, God gives Moses the name Yahweh. I am, which as we talked about a couple months ago now, carries with it the meaning I will be there wherever there ends up being. Jeremiah, now the word of Yahweh came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Yahweh God, truly, I do not know how to speak for I am only a boy. But Yahweh said to me, do not say I am only a boy for you shall go to all whom I send you and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, says Yahweh. Back to Joseph. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I could go on. What the Bible knows, far better than Hallmark, I'm afraid, is that what we need in times of confusion is not nostalgia, it's God's presence. 
What we need when we aren't sure what on earth God is up to is not something that makes us feel fuzzy. It's for God to be with us. What we need when we don't even know which way is up or whether we even heard God right in the first place or if it was all really just a dream, what we need is Emmanuel. This real life we live is full of confusion. It's especially so if we want to follow Jesus into the world. And the solution is not to sink into a fake haze of a warm, fuzzy blanket where everything's good and not confusing at all. Shh, just forget about all that. The solution is the reality of God with us. Because God promises to be with us in the confusion of real life. One of the ways this can play out is when you're making the the big decisions of life. When Meredith and I were first beginning to explore starting a church, something that began not with an angel in a dream, but a little sense in my head when I was pulling weeds in our lawn in Illinois, we were faced with a number of decisions, obviously, including the little ones of where and how, (laughs) and some of the possibilities we were able to rule out pretty quickly, or they were ruled out for us because Meredith is, you may have noticed, a woman. I'll pause there so that any of you who hadn't realized that we have a female pastor can just, you know, hit delete on this podcast. We good? Okay. But one of the hardest decisions for us came down to whether to go to Boston and plant with an existing church out there, one that was aligned with many, though not all, of our values, one that had an established track record of planting stable, sustainable churches, one that came with the promise of financing and people to get us started, but it didn't align with all of our values. And we knew that we were going to want to push in some different directions and try some different stuff than the churches they had already planted had done. And they said when we asked, oh, no, no, all the plants are independent and have their own personalities. You can totally experiment. But we had some questions about how that would be received when we actually started doing things differently, as opposed to just talking about it. Sometimes that uh, makes a difference, you may, may have noticed in your life. And for a while, the possibility of working with that same church but planting in Silicon Valley was on the table, although it never did quite materialize. And then the alternative was this ragtag bunch of a dozen or so weirdos in Southern California with no additional financing, no building, but the opportunity to make something new and different together. Those were confusing days. Obviously, the Southern California option had things going for it, the weather for one, but all that was in theory. Like, if we can make it work, that would be amazing. But it sounds more like a small group than a church. Is that even possible? Or should we go with the more constricting, colder and snowier, but far more reliable Boston option? You know, the one that actually might work. (laughs) We chose California, obviously. But it wasn't easy. It was confusing and scary, as life often is. And Meredith and I had to lean into the promise that God would be with us. Sometimes we get stuck believing there's one right path, that we either do what God wants or we choose wrong. But that isn't the story we find in scripture. It isn't the God we meet in the Bible. Because through all the twists and wrong turns of Israel's story, God's presence is constant. And the story builds to the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel. God is with us. Trusting God, following Jesus into the world, I don't think it means we always know the right thing to do. I don't think it means there always is a right thing to do. I don't think it means a life without confusion. It certainly didn't for Joseph. Trusting God means sometimes we hear what God wants us to do and we follow Jesus in that direction. Sometimes we don't hear anything precise. 
And we have to make our best decision based on who God is and who God has made us to be. But trusting God means that whatever choice we make in times of confusion, we trust that God will be with us when we walk down that road. Just as God has always been with God's people in the past. That Emmanuel is true, even in the midst of confusion. This series, we're trying out several of the many practices that help us see and notice and experience God's presence with us in real life. And today we're going to do one that some of you will be familiar with, the practice of examine. It's a way of looking back over some period of time and stopping to notice where God was with us in the life we've lived in the past so that we can better notice where God is with us in the life we will live in the future. It's a way of realizing, oh, God really was there and I didn't even notice. So Meredith is going to hop on here and lead us through a time of examine. An examine is a practice that invites you to reflect back over a period of time in the presence of God in order to notice afresh where God was with you in that time. As we approach this time of examine, first consider what is one decision you need to make now or soon? Wherever you are, become still. Breathe. Release other distractions like a balloon that floats up. Welcome God's presence and ask God to bring clarity and understanding to this time together. Review the past four weeks or so with gratitude. Since we're doing an examine over a longer chunk of time, it may be helpful to look at the pictures in your phone or even your calendar simply to remember the past four weeks or so in your life. What was life-giving? What did you receive from people, from work, from activity, from rest? What did you give out or do that felt life-giving? Pay attention to the emotions that have emerged. Perhaps confidence, joy, boredom, compassion, maybe resentment, anger, sadness. God is present in our emotions. What might God be saying through our feelings? As you review the past four weeks or so, what was life draining? What experiences, conversations, or activities were connected with that? Are there any implications that emerge from the things that were life draining? God might use these to nudge you in a new direction.
Finally, ask God for insight and guidance about the decision that you will need to make now or soon. God is with us and helps. So take a few moments to talk to God about that decision. God, when we have a decision to make or we feel a sense of confusion in our lives, may we look back and notice where our days were life-giving, where moments were life-giving. And would you use those to nudge us in a wise direction? May we look back on moments that were life-draining. And may you use those to nudge us in the right direction. Thank you that in our confusion and in our decisions, you are with us. We trust you and we love you. Amen.